My name is Brad, and I'm the lead pastor here at Hillside Church, and I want to thank you for listening to one of our messages from Hillside Church. We believe that the God who spoke so clearly all through the pages of Scripture is still speaking today. So if it's me speaking or if it's someone else, we pray that the message you are about to hear would allow you to know God, know His hope, know His purpose, and know His power. Enjoy the message. You can join me in Romans chapter 12 this morning. That's, that's our text for today. This week we're going to be wrapping up our series on getting back to better. Um, we've been exploring this idea of what it means and what it will mean for us to love one another as we return back to life, as we get back to normal. We want to get back not just to what is. We don't want to just get back to what was, but we want to get back to something better than that. The first week we talked about how we need to love everybody, even the people in our lives that give us the most grief. Then last week we talked about how we need to love everybody all the time, in the highs and the lows of life, when, when things are good, when things are bad, when things are hard, when people are needy, when we find ourselves in conflict with one another, we're given no outs when it comes to when we're not to love someone. Everybody, all the time. And this week we're going to bring our series to, to a close. We're going to look at the last few verses of this, this section. Next week we're going to begin our, our new summer series, All Grown Up, where we'll be exploring the fruits of the Spirit and what it looks like for us as a people to be real, real grown-ups inside the family of God. But this week we're going to look at Romans chapter 12 starting at verse 16. It says, Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Paul here remind, again reminds us of an old saying. You can pick your friends, but you can't pick your family. And that goes for our church family as well. See, see it's natural that you don't have the same connection with everyone. It's normal. It's true for everyone. There are some people in, that you like more than other people. And there's some people where the relationship just never grows that way. There's nothing wrong with them. You don't dislike them. But your relationship with them just hasn't grown in the same way it has with, with someone else for, for whatever reason. And it's not even a bad thing. It's not a comment. It's just personal relationships. Even Jesus had this. Jesus had a lot of people who followed him. Somewhere around a hundred or so regular followers that would follow him around. But we see a moment in Luke chapter 10 where Jesus selects 72 specific individuals and sends them out. So there was people who were following him who may have been there that weren't selected to go as part of this group. That Jesus said, my, my connection, my relationship with these for, for different reasons, these are the 72 that I'm going to select. But then he also had 12. He also, it wasn't that Jesus had 72 disciples. He had 12 that he had a special, a special, more intimate connection with. That he shared meals with. That he shared the last supper with. But then he also had Peter, James, and John. 
whom he had a different connection with beyond the connection of the 12 other disciples, or the nine other disciples. That Peter, James, and John were the ones who got to go see the transfiguration. They had a special relationship with Jesus. But then there was also just John, who seemed to have an even closer relationship with Jesus than everybody else. John would call himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. Even Jesus didn't have the same relationship with everyone equally. So the lesson here is, is not somehow that you have to be the same friends with the same people with everybody. That you're not allowed to have good friends or, or anything like that. That's not, not the point. But Paul is challenging us. Be willing. Be willing to look at everyone. Be willing to associate with people that we may not be inclined to. People maybe of perceived low position in our lives for whatever reason. Low, low priority people. Not, not just the popular people. Not just the people that we find it easy to like. But the socially awkward people. The people no one seems interested in. The people who in our lives we say, I, they're perfectly fine. We just don't connect. Paul reminds us here that to love like Jesus doesn't mean that you can't somehow be closer to some than others. But what it does mean is that God's love is not exclusive. God's love doesn't differentiate. He loves everyone. And so we are closer with some than with others, but we don't resist loving some because they're not what we want in our friends. They're not what we want in our family. They're not what we want. And so we, we put up a little wall. But Paul will say, don't be proud, but be willing to associate with people that, that you may initially be inclined to say, I'm not sure that I want them here. Now, the next couple of verses are, are some pretty difficult ones to navigate, especially taken as individual verses. So, so let's look at them and try and understand. They begin like, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Okay, that one, that part is not, not so hard to understand. Harder to really practice out. If we're, if we're honest, we, we have these kind of conflicts at our house quite frequently where as, as our kids grow, in understanding the Lord and understanding his commands. The, the, the verse, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, is a very easy one to take and, and, and warp and make into my justification for treating them poorly. Because they did unto me like this, and if they're supposed to do unto others how they want to be treated, well, this is what they did to me, so then I get to do that back to them. That's what the kids will tell me anyway. When their brother punches them and they punch them back. He did it unto me, so I get to do it un, unto him. But it's what we talked about last week. We don't meet people in their anger with our anger. When people are angry with us, we're not called to meet them there. As tempting and as natural as it may be for us to meet anger with anger, we're not called to do that. It's the next part of this verse where things get a little more complicated. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Be careful to do what is right. Okay. That sounds like something the Bible would say. Be careful to do what is right 
in the eyes of everyone. That, how, what? What does that mean? How do we do that? See, I can understand what I think is right, and I usually find it pretty easy to agree with myself, even when I'm wrong. But to do what is right in the eyes of everyone, that seems impossible. Because you may not have realized this, but everyone doesn't always agree. There's a lot to disagree about. People disagree with each other. And even if you say, okay, okay, Mr. Literal, Paul doesn't mean actually everyone. But the consensus, do what is right in the eyes of most. Well, I'm sure that we can agree that the consensus isn't always in the right. That's how the book of Judges ends. And everyone did what was right in their own eyes. But Paul challenges us. He says, be careful. That means intention. Thought out. Circumspectly. Not to do what is right, but to do what's right in the eyes of everyone. So what on earth does this mean and how on earth do we do it? Because something doesn't make sense here. Well, what I believe can happen in places like this, and it can be a fundamental flaw in how we read our Bible and even how our Bible is set up. See, when we put in the things like chapters and verses to help us organize this book and for us to to be able to find the points and the places that we're looking for, one of the unintended consequences is that we can have this tendency to stop reading our Bible in the fashion in which it was written. And what I mean is this, is, is that the book of Romans wasn't written with all of these chapters and verses. It was written as a letter from a pastor to a church. And we add in all of the, the chapters and verses to be able to find the places we're looking for more easily. So that I can find in the Bible where it says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I can do that because we've divided Romans into chapter 3, verse 23. I can do that. I can make, make that happen. But our brains tend to draw these little lines that cause us to, to break up Paul's writings into these chunks that need to be dealt with on their own. That, that we will take a verse and we will look to make a, a sense of that verse in the context of that verse. I mean, it, if you could see the slides, it's how we divide up the text on the slides. It's, it's not sentence by sentence. It's not thought by thought. It's not paragraph by paragraph. It's verse by verse, which sometimes is a sentence. Sometimes it's more than one. Sometimes it's less than one. Paul's sentences were very long. Sometimes we, you know, one sentence is five verses. But we would divide it up by verses. And that's, that's sometimes how we, we, we end up reading our text. But that's not always how things work. So what I would contend is, is that as we try to understand what does it mean when Paul says, do what is right in the eyes of everyone, we can't just read that verse and take it on its own merit. Because we should not do what is right in the eyes of everyone. 
We should do what is right in the eyes of the Lord. And sometimes that means doing the opposite of what's right in the eyes of everyone. So let's read a little more. Verse 17. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. See, we need to understand that in the greater context, these are not just individual verse thoughts. But as, as we understand in a greater context, what Paul's talking about here is how do we respond to evil? How do we respond when someone does evil to us? He's not giving us a command to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. He's saying when confronted with evil, act in a way that nobody can stand and, and blame you for. When confronted with evil, act in a way that no one can say, see, he stooped to our level. When, act, when confronted with evil, we don't repay evil with evil. We don't give someone an opportunity to accuse us. We don't stand against them. Paul will say, if your enemy's thirsty, give him something to drink. If your enemy's hungry, feed him. And let God deal with the evil. But let's not walk and live and do things in a way that somehow gives people who, who are doing evil to us an opportunity for us to be blameful, not blameless. But when we stand and when we say to, to one another, when, when we stand and we, we, we take vengeance into our own hands, then suddenly we don't look so good no more. We give room for people to see us in a bad way. See, look at what we did. Look how awful we are. Yeah, I did that to them. But look at what they did. Look at how they responded. And we also don't leave room for God. If, they're, if they are to be punished for what happened, it's not ours to do that. We are not the judge and the jury. God is. So when confronted by evil, Paul is saying, be careful how you respond and carry yourself in a manner where no one will look at you and see evil repaid by evil. But instead, when people look at you, they'll say they did nothing wrong. Look how poorly they were treated. And they did nothing wrong. Look how poor they were treated. And look at how they responded. Their response was amazing. See, the idea is to live, or the, the words that come in the next verse, I think, or the next verse after, after we say, do what is right in the eyes of everyone, really uh, gives us an understanding of what Paul's saying. When he says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. See, the idea is for us as believers to live at peace with everyone. 
To, to, to live in relationship where, where there's not strife, where there's not contention. And when there is, we're still going to bring peace. But Paul does give us two qualifiers. He says, as first, as far as it depends on you. That's the second one. And he acknowledges at the beginning, if it's possible. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. See, sometimes it may not be possible. It's a reality of life. There may be people that you just don't get along with. That despite every effort and despite everything you do, there just seems to be a, a continual pattern and a continual presence of just animosity and disdain. and just it, it does not work. And Paul acknowledges that here. He says, look, as far as it depends on you, if it's possible. But the as far as it depends on you, that's got a little weight to it. So he tells us as far as it depends on us. So that means if we come to a place where we cannot live at peace with someone, then we have to be resolved it must be their fault. Now that's not hard to do. I can blame someone else for all kinds of stuff. You have no idea the amount of things that have been other people's fault in my life. An extraordinarily high percentage. Seems like it's almost never my fault. So Paul gives us this out. He says, I, I, look, I know that you may not be able to be peace with everyone, but make sure that you've done everything you can. If the relationship is too far gone... You, I, we need to make sure that beyond a shadow of a doubt, beyond any kind of reasonable doubt, it's their fault. So what does it look like to do that? What does it look like for us to make sure that as far as it depends on us, we've done everything? Well, let's look back over the verses we've read the last three weeks. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keeping your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Do not be conceited. But be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. So what does it mean that it's as far as it depends on us? Have we done all of that? Have we done that? Have we really and truly done these things? Not just the parts we want to do, but have we really done it? If, if in all sincerity and honesty we have been devoted and committed to one another like family through everything, we have made sure to put them above what we think about them and what they think about things. We have done our best to meet and care for them in need in moments of conflict and strife 
We have been a blessing to them. We have met them in their joyful moments. We have met them in their hard moments. We have been willing to consider them highly even in even moments where we may feel like we're superior to them and to their opinions. And we've always been so careful to respond to everything in ways that would leave no one with the ability to see us at fault. If we've done that, and we still can't live at peace with someone, Paul says, okay, that relationship may be too far gone. But if that's not what we've done, if we've missed out on any of this, back to work. Back to work for us. That we can't say, well, it's their fault. Because we missed something. We missed part of, part of what absolves us of all of our responsibility. If we've missed any of it, then it's back to work. Then Paul wraps up this whole section with a thought that I think is so profound and challenging for us. Because it really shows us the intention and the thought that we need to live with when it comes to other people and what happens when we don't. Verse 21, he writes, Do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good. And what I think rings so true, truly profound for us in this verse is the passive versus the active language. See, what it shows us is this is what life will look like when you're intentional, and this is what life will look like when we just sort of allow it to happen. See, it doesn't say don't be overcome by evil Instead, be overcome by good. It doesn't say, don't allow the presence of evil to just come. Just allow the presence of good to just come. We have to do something for the good. And if we don't do those things, if we don't do that something, we get evil. We cannot simply just hope and trust for the good to come. We have to intentionally choose it. And if we don't choose the good, we're going to end up with evil. See, a passive person, a passive relationship, will be overcome by evil. But if we choose good, the promise is that we will overcome the evil. Think about a marriage relationship for a moment. If you're married, probably can think to somebody. If you're not, imagine it for a second. Imagine I just don't try in my marriage. If I just say, we'll just allow all the good to come and we don't need to do anything. Or in our marriage, do we say, we've got to fight for every single good thing or we're not going to be okay. If we don't try, we will not be okay. Every relationship works like that. We have to choose the good, or we're overcome by evil. If we don't work hard on loving everybody all the time, we won't. It's not how you work. It's not how I work. If I don't try to love people, I'll find all kinds of reasons to not love them. If we don't work on the way we respond to people, we won't respond in a way that reflects Jesus when things get tough. It's not how you work, and it's not how I work. The only way to overcome how you work 
The only way to over, for me to overcome how I work is to overcome that evil with the love of Jesus. So as we look to return, not just to the way we were, but to reopen our lives to something better, does actively demonstrating love mean that we will always be loved, welcomed, and treated warmly? Unfortunately, no. As long as we're in a fallen world with fallen people, we will always experience hurt and misunderstanding. But when we're hurt, we are not overcome with what's normal. Instead, we're called to do something better, to take a deep breath and respond in love and not anger. We overcome the normal evil with the good of Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that as we serve you, we don't serve a God that is somehow distant and somehow unaware of, of the difficulties and the, the trying things that we face as people. But God, I thank you that you had to overcome evil. You had to overcome this, the, the simple evil that is unlikable people. You had to overcome this simple challenge of, of just having people in your life that it was hard to like and hard to love. You had to overcome the, the evil of washing Judas's feet. That in that moment you had to overcome what, what would have been the natural reaction to loving someone who was about to betray you. And yet, God, I thank you that as we look at you in that moment, you were not overcome by human normal evil. But you overcame evil with good. And you loved Judas. You loved your disciples who were going to betray you. You loved your disciples who were going to leave you. You loved your disciples who were going to deny you. As you hung on the cross, Jesus, you said, forgive them, Father, those who are killing you, those who are crucifying you, those who are torturing you and mocking you and ridiculing you. God, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And so, God, I pray that as we look to your example, as we look at what it is for us to, to understand how to love, God, may our hearts be drawn to something more than just what's normal. May our hearts be drawn to something more than just what is regular. May our hearts be drawn to something more than just what is standard in our lives. But, God, may our hearts be drawn to something better something more complete, something more as a picture of your love for us and the love that you've called for us to extend to others. God, as our, our lives begin to take these steps to return to normal, as our lives begin to take these steps where, where we would see things begin to open back up and we're confronted with all kinds of people that maybe we haven't seen in, in months and months or years. God, as we're confronted with, with all of the different things that can begin to, to cause us to respond in certain ways, God, may we not fall victim to what's normal. 
May we not fall victim to what is our, our innate human response to disagreement. May we not fall victim to what is our innate human response to disagreement. God, may we do, may we be something better. May we overcome what's normal with the good of Jesus. God, help us to be overcomers. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Hillside Church. I pray that you were blessed by what God had to say in this message. If you would like to connect further with Hillside Church, there are a couple places you can go. HillsideAirdrie.ca is our website, and you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at HillsideAirdrie. You can also look us up on YouTube and find all of our messages on Apple Podcasts. If you would like to connect to the pastoral team at Hillside, you can do that through our website, hillsideairdry.ca, and click on About Us in the main menu, and then click on Our Pastors. We're so thankful to be able to share the gospel message of Jesus Christ with our community in Airdrie and with you today. At Hillside Church, we are a family, not by blood, but a family that's been bought by blood. And that family includes you. As family we go. You're the keeper, protector. It is you that holds us together. When everything else fills us, it is you that holds us Your thoughts and plans
Yeah.